All right, so we're still in the book of Ephesians. We're going to start out with chapter 2 and verse 11 this week. Again, under the big umbrella of God's doing something, and we are what He's doing. You know, all the rest of creation is going to go away with fervent heat, the Bible talks about, but you and I, the eternal beings that He's created as His children, will last for eternity. And that's exactly what He wanted to do. He wanted children in His house forever. And so, you know, we looked at a new family, a new nurture, uh, this new relationship that we have with God. Well, today we're going to talk about the new training we talked about back in the, the series on foundations. And we're going to pick up a little bit of that idea out of the book of Ephesians that he is training us for something. Uh, not to become something, but because we are something. And Ephesians 2, verse 11 through 22 goes like this. Therefore, remember that formerly you the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called the uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you are at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ." That is one of those passages that, man, it, an old preacher I knew used to say, if that doesn't light your fire, your wood must be wet. That is just profound, that we were outside if we were Gentiles and had no hope. We were just in the world without God. But now we have been brought near <clears throat> by the blood of Christ. Okay, what does that mean? Well, there's no longer a barrier between us and God. The Bible talks about when his flesh was torn, it's like tearing the veil in the temple and it opened the way into the presence of God. There's no barrier any longer. There's not a sin problem between us and God because he took our sin on the cross and he paid for it and he buried it. He removed it from us as far as the east is from the west. It's thrown in the sea of forgetfulness. God will never bring it up against us ever again. Okay, so now we have this, this relationship for those who have received Christ. They are brought near. Okay, again, I, I think a lot about mentoring situations that I've been in and that I've been a part of where some reason someone accepts you in. Now, it might have been a school teacher and they kind of had to because you're on their class roll. But maybe it was um, a family member or a friend or someone who just took you under their wing and showed you how to do something, how to change the oil in your car, how to you know, do something maybe even more complicated than that. But they, they brought you near and they imparted something to you because of the value in the relationship that they had with you and the value you had with them. So think about it that way. God brought us near so that he could impart things to us. And in order to talk about that, I want to look at a passage in Hebrews 12. We're going to take some ex excerpts out of the first 13 verses from he Hebrews 12. And it goes like this, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him, for whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and scourges every son he receives. Now there's two words in that passage that cause concern for most people. Discipline and scourging. Well, the, the discipline we talked about back in Foundations is really training. This isn't a new concept. You know, we were talking about it just recently. 
But just remember that when God is disciplining, that word to discipline means to train. Because later it says, discipline may not be joyful, may even feel sorrowful, but it yields fruit to those who are trained by it. So this is a training program. It's like a coach disciplining an athlete. He doesn't take him out behind the gym and beat him. He, he helps him learn how to run better and eat right and sleep right and everything else so he can reach his full potential. So when the Father is disciplining us, he's training us in who we are by helping us know him so that we share his holiness, it says here in Hebrews 12. So let's go on and read. It is, dis it is for discipline you endure, for God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom the Father does not discipline? He disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful, but yet to those who are trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Right, so we've been brought into this relationship, and part of it, because he's a loving father, here it says if he doesn't discipline and train you, then you're actually not his child. So the discipline of the Lord is an assurance that we are his. You know, when I was a kid, <clears throat> we didn't have things that we actuated with our thumbs back then. Uh, there were no screens to look at, <laughs> no video games, you know, uh, nothing. And uh, so we went outside and we played. We rode our bicycles and, you know, whatever we could find to do, climbing trees, building a tree house. We used to do that all the time, build tree houses anywhere we could and put up rope swings and one thing and another. Sometimes we got into a little bit of mischief, but not too much. We were too busy having a good time out playing. Well, occasionally, if we got into mischief, maybe a fight broke out. Somebody didn't like the way something was going on, and one, one of us or the other was, you know, mouthing off at one, the neighbor kid and that kind of stuff. And maybe a fight breaks out in my front yard between my brothers and I or the kids next door or whatever. Well, my mom, um, I, she was very good at wrangling three sons that she had. She was not timid at all. Uh, she would step out, and an interesting thing would happen. Her three sons came in the house, and the neighborhood kids went home. <laughs> okay, so why am I telling you that story? Because of the relationship we had with mom, she treated us differently than the kids who belonged to other people in the neighborhood. She brought us in the house. She sent them home. Okay, and that tells me something, that relationship matters. Relationship with God matters. If we are his child, he takes that seriously. And why does it say he does that? Well, the two words that tend to stick out to us is discipline and scourging. And scourging is just a very attention-getting way of correcting us. Okay, something that... that um, encourages us not to go that direction anymore. All right, so it says, you know, those two words really stick out, but it says he disciplines the ones he loves and scourges the ones that he receives. All right, so he's not disciplining and scourging or correcting us out of rejection and hatred. It's out of love and acceptance. And that is... Massive, because we will see his correction and training very differently 
when we realize, realize the motive he has in his heart behind what he's doing for his child. And the last part down there, it says, he does this that we may share his holiness. Now again, uh, holiness is something we receive at new birth, and he's training us to live that out. If we have to become holy by living a certain way, none of us will ever make it. Okay, so again, every part of the dynamic we have with our Heavenly Father is backwards to the world. The world says, we accept you if you do well. God says, I accept you. I'll help you learn how to do well. It's completely opposite to the world. He is training us to live out our new identity. So holiness, because our Father is holy, and we have the Holy Spirit living in us, and He wouldn't live in an unholy temple. We are now holy before God, but He is really good at it. <laughs> he never fails. Us, we're immature. We still got some of the world system going on in our mind, and we're distracted, and we don't really understand things like we will eventually, and so we may find ourselves doing things that looks unholy. It doesn't make you unholy. It just makes you appear to be unholy. So he's training us and helping us to share that holiness, to live that out. And it says that that discipline, that training, uh, yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And I used to think because of, of the performance mindset I had that, okay, I have to do these things to follow his teachings so that I'll be righteous. But it's the fruit of righteousness. It's the fruit that comes from it. You know, in Philippians chapter 3, Paul said he gave up everything he was doing to try to make himself before, acceptable before God and pursued the righteousness that came from God on the basis of faith. You can go look that up in Philippians 3. All right, so we receive righteousness by faith. Even in the Old Testament, it said Abraham believed God and it was reckoned unto him as righteousness. And all the Old Testament examples in Hebrews 11 were righteous before God because of their faith, not because of their works. Because every one of them, we saw various works that were actually wrong or sinful sometime in their life. But he didn't count them righteous because they never sinned. He counted them righteous because of their faith. And that's true. So when we put our faith in Christ, we are given righteousness. It's the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And then Paul goes on and said, I got that righteousness that I might know him. So there's the deal. He gives us righteousness first and opens up the door so we can get to know him and the power of his resurrection and so forth. So this righteousness then <clears throat> yields fruit and it's peaceful. What does that look like? Well, if you take the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, there's no animosity in that. There's no anger in that. There's no selfishness in that. There's no um, meanness or sinful activities in any of that. It's peaceful fruit. It's fruit that not only gives peace to us, but also to those that experience it coming out of us when we live righteously. It's not about uh, somehow we're trying to get righteous before God. We're learning to live out our righteousness and holiness that he has given us. Now in verse 14 of Ephesians 2, it says this, For he himself is our peace. And where does he live? Inside of us. And it goes on and says, Who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of dividing wall 
by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them in one body, both in one body to God through the cross, having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to those who were far away and to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. All right, what's that all about? He's talking about the Jewish nation and the Gentiles in the world. You know, he had the Jewish people who had been brought near-ish through the covenants with Abraham, but they were trying to live this out by the law. And the Bible says, By works of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. But they were, they were near. God had made promises to Abraham and his descendants that he would hang on to them, that he would make them a great nation, that he would send a Messiah through them, and so forth. They had the ordinances of God, and they had this, if they were looking for it, they had a relationship with God that let, would lead them to faith. Some of them didn't see that. They got all about the works and tried to be good enough for God. Well, then there was the Gentiles. That's everybody else on the planet who didn't even have that kind of connection to God through the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and so forth. There is wandering around, like I was, just a Gentile wandering around the world. Well, he gathered up everybody, the Jews and the Gentiles. He broke down the barrier between them because the Jews always thought they were better than the Gentiles, and the Gentiles hated the Jews. He broke down the enmity, that strife, that, that difficulty that went on between them all the time, and he gave everyone a single entry point into the presence of God, and that was Jesus Christ. So that through him, everyone has that entrance by faith into the presence of God. Not as a result of works, like we just read back in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, but as a result of faith. All right, so now all people have the same access through Christ. Now, I've had discussions with people over the years who are upset with that idea. I mean, who gives you or anybody else, even Jesus, the right to, to limit our access to God? Why can't we use any of these other roads to God that are out there in the world? This religion or that religion or my own goodness or whatever. Well, in reality, there was no entrance into the presence of God. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. God didn't limit the roads into his presence. He provided one when there wasn't one. And Jesus is the provision, the perfect provision. And it's for everybody, Jew and Gentile. If you're a human being, Jesus was given for you to be a, an inroad into the very presence of God where you could be born again and nurtured by a Heavenly Father who loves us more than we will be able to comprehend probably in all eternity. And He's consistent and faithful and kind and generous, gracious, the Bible talks about. He lavishes, lavishes these things on us. We talked about about three weeks ago. Verse 19 goes on and says in, here in Ephesians 2, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. Well, that's so good. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. You're part of God's family. Having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the 
chief or the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. I love this because I'm a builder. You know, we're just part of this thing God's building for himself to live in, along with Christ, the apostles, the prophets, the Old Testament saints, the New Testament saints. And that's just, a saint is just anybody that's been sanctified. And how do you get sanctified? By the washing of regeneration and renewing in the Holy Spirit. Jesus sanctifies us by his blood and he moves in by the Holy Spirit. This is the foundation for the fulfillment of what he promised. It's his purpose. So that being with him and accepted and brought in and made part of his household, we're being made like him and connected to him in a living and dynamic relationship. In 1 Peter 2, verse 4 and 5, it says this, Coming to him as a living stone in which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, are being built into a spiritual house for the holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So Peter agrees with this writer in Hebrews, or excuse me, in Ephesians, which is the Apostle Paul. They're saying, we're being built into a house for God to live in. You know, God doesn't live in the building down in the corner that has some church name on it. We are the temple of God. And so you don't go to church, you are the church. <laughs> and wherever you go, he goes. So in, in essence, God lives in a mobile home. He just, he's with us all the time. Why? So that he can help us all the time, comfort us all the time, give us wisdom all the time, lead us all the time. That's why Jesus said, I think I brought out a couple weeks back, in Ephesians, or excuse me, in John chapter 16, it says, It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the Comforter won't come. But if I go away, the Comforter will come. And he'll be with you and in you forever. So it's better to have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ living in us, than it would be to have Jesus standing next to us. So that wherever we go, we are the living, breathing temple of God, which is what he always intended. You know, he told the the, the Jewish nation, when they were all proud of their temple, he said, how can you build a house for me? I mean, I gave you those plans, but, you know, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. But in reality, he never wanted us to think of that as his house, to limit him to that one place and, and time. You have to go there, you know, to worship him. And people do this all over the world in all the different religions. They look to a certain spot where they think their God is. God is everywhere all the time. But more specifically, he wants to be in and connected to the human heart for all eternity as his dwelling place. We are the temple of God. And in that union, this new union we've been talking about with this new father and this new nurture, this new relationship, we are now, we now have access to the very throne of God all the time. We don't have to get an appointment. We don't have to wait till we've been good because Jesus was good for us. We can boldly approach the throne of grace and find help in time of need, it says in Hebrews. And all the time, in the moment when something is happening right in front of us, we can offer up those prayers and say, Father, what do I do? Father, what do I say? And I believe the Holy Spirit will guide us in that moment. 
Now, we'll get probably better at listening and, and, and hearing what he has to say over time and blocking out the noise from the world around us and our old thoughts and feelings and those kind of things, but that's just part of the growth process. You know, when children are little, they have trouble hearing their mom and dad. They get fixated on that toy or that cookie they want to get a hold of or whatever it is, that, that, that piece of glass that they want to get a hold of that we don't want them to get a hold of. And they don't listen. We do the same thing. But our loving Father doesn't hate us for that. He brings us close and He nurtures and cares for us, binds up our wounds and helps us see things better as time goes on. Well, this is to me is an exciting way to be able to look at anything in Scripture and say, does it line up with what God is doing? Is this consistent with who He is and what He said He's doing in us? If it's not, then I need to look for a different interpretation. Maybe I need to wait a while until He explains it to me. Years ago, I asked God a question about the meaning of a certain passage, and just like that, He answered my question 30 years later, literally. I was 17 when I asked the question. I was 37 when the answer finally dawned on me. And that's because a lot of things needed to be imparted to my thinking and understanding before the answer actually made any sense. I've said before, it's like, you know, a little child asks their mom or dad, how does an airplane fly? Well, we can try to explain aerodynamics to a two-year-old or a three-year-old or a four-year-old, whatever they happen to be, five or six-year-old for that matter. Well, they don't know. I don't even know all of that, but I do know a little bit about, you know, lift and the airfoil and all that kind of stuff. And, but, you know, they need to understand two plus two equals four and a little bit about math and then maybe eventually physics and those kind of things. And then one day they go, oh, that's how an airplane flies. It'll make sense to them. The real answer will. And I believe that's what God our Father is doing. He's leading us toward those big answers to life, which turned out to be probably pretty simple. But we needed some background information that He's going to lead us through in life to get us to the place where that understanding becomes clear. Well, I love you guys. I appreciate you. And we'll pick this up again next time. So let's pray. Father, we do thank you that as a good father, you're never going to give up on any of your children. And whatever you began in us, the Bible says you will bring to completion. And what, you're, what you began in us is making us like you, and you will finish the job. Because you love us, you care for us, you're going to correct us and train us. And as we learn to listen to you and learn how to hear your voice, we'll be able to, by faith, lock step with you more often and more consistently in the way we go about living our lives so that the people around us will get free samples of the grace that they can receive from you. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.